0: Welcome to the Good Shepherd Church podcast. Good Shepherd is a gospel-centered church plant in southeast Lakeland, Florida, and our vision is to join God's mission to see a glorious city filled with disciples of Jesus who are secure as children of God, connected as the family of God, and engaged as stewards of God's love to their neighbors and beyond. Here you will find sermons and other resources to help root and equip you in your true identity in Christ. We're glad you're here. Hey everybody, I'm Jeremy. Uh, Welcome to all those who are online and everybody who's here in person, uh, welcome this afternoon. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, I did it, said afternoon. Made us three for three today. Um, You're welcome. So when I was in seventh grade, Right, that's true, that's true. When I was in seventh grade, I transferred from a a small private Montessori school that had six people in my graduating class to a giant public middle school with probably 200 people just in my grade. Needless to say, I felt small, I felt lonely, I felt out of place. And then I quickly realized that there was something that existed in the social order, especially in middle and high school, called cliques. And I learned that the the jocks hung out with the jocks, and the gamers hung out with the gamers, and the the smart kids hung out with the smart kids, and the pretty girls hung out with the pretty girls, and I was none of those things, I know, (laughs) poor me. I found this one group and they openly welcomed me with open arms, the skaters. They, they, they brought me in and they taught me how to take a normal Bic lighter and to turn it into a little mini blowtorch. And it didn't take long before I had the baggy jeans, I had the, the long bowl cut, which actually was cool at one time, believe it or not. Maybe it never was, but I thought it was. Uh, I had the Spitfire skateboard. I had the Thrasher magazine. I had everything that I needed to be a skater, except for one thing. I couldn't skate. (laughs) I was no good at skating. And I sat there and, and would attempt in my driveway to ollie. And I, the mechanics of you kick the board back and you slide your foot forward and I just ended up falling. And then there was this thing called a manual where you can kind of balance on one wheel and I just ended up falling. And there was this really cool thing called a kickflip where somehow you flip the board and jump and then land back on it. Never did that either. I was not actually a skater because a skateboarder without an ollie is not a skateboarder. What James is here to tell us today is that a Christian without good works is not a Christian, in the very similar way to my sad skateboarding story. That didn't last very long, in case you were wanting to know, thankfully for everyone. Um, so James is here to tell us and to remind us that faith and works are tied together, and they are inseparable. If you remember, last week we had the, the, um, the sermon together with Grace Community Church on the north side. Had a really neat service. Thank you if you came out for that. I hope that was encouraging to you. So we've, we've missed a week, and so there's going to be a little bit of a gap that we'll be jumping over, and I'll be trying to summarize some of what we miss. But two weeks ago, right at the end of chapter 1, James summarizes, this is the essence of true faith in three actions. These aren't the only three, but these are three that for the people that James was preaching to were especially purposeful and necessary for him to draw out of them. And here's what he says, if you remember. Here's the three, says, true religion are these three things. Watch your mouth, care for the poor, resist worldliness. Right at the end of chapter one, he mentions those three things. And he jumps into chapter two, and this is what we're jumping over. He jumps into chapter two and immediately starts to mention uh, kind of an illustration of what he just said. And he says, imagine you're in church and what comes walking through the door uh, of someone who is obviously a Mercedes pulls up and an entirely well-dressed family gets out and they come in and they've got the pearls and they've got the nice watch and they've got their act together and their kids sit very nicely through the whole service. They're like, wow, I mean, you, you think this is like the perfect family. How do you treat them? After church, how do you treat them? Now, rerun that, and let's say someone walks down the road and stumbles in here. They're haggard. They're smelly. They're, you can tell they're falling asleep almost in the middle of the church service. After the service, the first thing they say is, does anybody have anything to eat? How do you treat that person after church? And James's point is to say, you may not be as merciful as you once thought. And then so he's just driving home that point to then say what he's about to say here. Faith, true faith, is evidenced by true works. Good works that are reflective of a good God who has had a good effect on your heart. So let's read this section just after. Uh, that bit about partiality starting in James 2 uh, verse 8 and reading all the way down to to verse 19 he says if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself you're doing well but if you sow partiality which is what he was just talking about you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also has said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under what we talked about two weeks ago, the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says they have faith but does not have works? Can that faith save them? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you goes and says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself. If it does not have works, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. So Father, this is a hard word, but you have given it to us for our good. Uh, And so we pray that you would, uh, in a sense, crack open our hearts to it uh, because we have picked up all sorts of unbelief throughout this week. We have met all sorts of trials and struggles and sins inside of us and sins done to us. Help us to meet you. Help us to have something to do with all of this mess that we have glommed on all week would we now be able to rest at your feet and use your word to do a great work we pray in Jesus name Amen. so outline today is pretty simple couple of points this is not a either or type of thing it's a both and type of faith faith or works because he, de- he delineates what if you have one and then what if you just have the other and he says in both of those categories, faith or works doesn't work. But faith and works together, inseparably linked. Faith and works. That works. So first, faith or works. Jump into verse 14. We're kind of in the middle of the passage. He, he begins his argument with talking about what if you just say you have faith? What if you're really good at that part, not so good at the good works part? What good is it then, he asks, my brothers? Talking to Christians, what good is it, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if someone says he has faith, but essentially doesn't walk the walk, doesn't have works, can that faith save him? And the rhetorical answer to that rhetorical question is no, it can't because it's not real and then he goes on to say what if you meet someone who's hungry hungry and poorly clothed let's say it's that man who we described earlier who stumbles his way into church and you go up to him afterwards and you say hey i'm so glad you're here today gosh i just it must be so tiring walking down that road you've got to walk all the way to bartow man that's really far and you sound like you're pretty hungry too. I really hope you find something to eat out there. I really hope you get where you're going. But hey, I, I kind of got this thing I got to go to, so I, I'll see you later. He's saying that's not faith because true faith that has been received mercy will then be able to give that same mercy away. So essentially he's saying talk is cheap. And that's a very common phrase said all over the place today. Um, You can say, I care about the poor, but if there's no action to back that up, then no you don't. In in the same way if you were to say, I really care about my health, but you never exercise. No you don't. You like cheeseburgers, that's okay. But you don't really care as much about your health as you might say you do. Um, or you may say, I really care about uh, living wisely with my money. But then you spend a lot of your money frivolously on things that don't necessarily matter. Well, no, you don't. Because your actions are not backing up that thing which you actually say you believe. And in an in even greater way, James is saying, if you're not walking the walk, you may say you believe a lot of stuff, but in Western... Christian culture we call that nominalism we call that you may talk the talk but there's no walk that's coming out of you which shows that the talk is empty it's a hard word it's a hard word true theology though and theology doesn't mean this sort of bookish study of all things scripture and reading a whole bunch of books everybody has a theology because everybody believes something about God A good theology, then, produces something good out of it. A theology that believes things that are true and good and beautiful about God and the world that he has made, they will produce true and good and beautiful things. So you see this dynamic happen when, you may remember when Jesus is teaching, which happens many times. But this one particular time, he's packed into this small house. So you may imagine it's something like this here. And there's people packed to the gills all the way. There, there was no COVID then, so it was okay. They were packed in, and j- there was no extra space to get in to see Jesus. And this, this guy and some of his buddies are, um, are approaching Jesus, and they try to get in, and they can't. And the problem that they have is that their buddy is lame. He's paralyzed. He can't walk. And he's lying on a mat, and his buddies, he's asked his buddies, he's heard about this guy named Jesus, and he said, I want to go see. I want to go see this Jesus. I hear he's amazing. I hear he can heal people. I hear he even says that he's God. And so his buddies bring him along, however they did that. And when there's no more room inside this room, they get an idea. They find a ladder or a tree or something, and they shimmy their way up, and they shimmy this man on his mat who can't walk up to the roof. Then somehow they cut a hole through that roof of thatch or uh, sticks or whatever that was up there, and then they a pretty sizable hole, whoever's house that was was probably a little upset about that the first time it rained after that, and then they, they lower this man down right in front of Jesus. And what is Jesus' response to this? He says, I've seen their faith. Faith is possible to be noticed. Faith is possible to be seen. How? By their actions. By our actions, our faith shows itself to be true. And there's two things, at least two things, that that shows that that group believed about Jesus. One, he was God. He actually was who he said he was. He was powerful to redeem, to change this man's body from paralyzed back to health. Not only did they they believe that, though, they must have also believed that Jesus is kind. Because if it were me, and I'm in the middle of a sermon... And all of a sudden, some guy starts chainsawing through the roof and lowers their buddy down in the middle of it. My first thought would not be, oh, hooray, let me care for this guy. My first thought would be, stop interrupting my sermon. But that's not how Jesus responds. They know that Jesus is powerful, but they also know that Jesus is kind. However, they came to those two things about their faith. They apprehended it and it motivated them to that crazy act. Their faith showed itself to be true. In the same way that you can see faith in action, you can also see unbelief in action. And this is where it begins to hit a little closer to home. Why don't you pray? Why do we struggle to pray? Because really, we don't believe it does anything. We may say, "Ah, yes, the power of prayer, the power of prayer, but you don't pray. Jesus says, no, you don't. You don't really believe that or you pray. Or it may be, uh, why are you so hard? Why are you so hard on others? Maybe because deep down, you believe that God is that hard on you. Or why are you so fearful and afraid or worried or cast down? Perhaps, not so much here, but here, you don't really believe that God is sovereign, and that he's good, and that he is controlling all things for his good and for ours. So we can see faith at work, belief at work, and we can also see unbelief at work. Now, he then makes a a little pivot, and he says, okay, we've been talking about faith not works now let's talk about works not faith and he says it like this verse 18 this is sort of a confusing verse so i want to spend a minute on it he says some will say you have faith and i have works show me your faith apart from works and i'll show you my faith by my works here's essentially what he's saying he's saying some say i have the gift of faith you have the gift of works you're such a hard worker. You're like always thinking about the lowly and the poor. You're always out there serving them. And I'm, I love to study. I love to be in my books. I love to be theologically focused and driven. And so that's kind of my thing. And then that's kind of your thing. And that's okay. And James says, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, maybe some of them had heard Paul and heard him talk about spiritual unity and spiritual gifts and how everyone has a variety of gifts but all of them are equally given by their creator it's a body of Christ somebody's a toe, somebody's a hand, somebody's an eye but James says that you can't make that kind of distinction here because let's just think about it for a minute what is, what is a good work? a good work is not just something that to the relative view of people around you is deemed by a thumbs up that was really good good job with that a good work is one biblically a good work is one that shows glory to the good creator of all things and does good to someone else in the process but anything as good as it is if it doesn't have god's glory in the middle of that it's not really a good work it's just a work that relatively looks good and so mercy caring for the poor is not actually a good work if it's not motivated by someone whose heart has been changed and softened to see the way that they have been cared for in their poverty it may not be physical poverty it most certainly is spiritual poverty because everybody brings that to the table and to the degree that you begin to see i may not be like that guy walking in off the street walking all the way from one place to another because he has no car and he has no food and he has no home but I can identify with him I can identify with him because I see the ways in which I am spiritually bankrupt where I have nothing I may have some things in this life but I have nothing when it comes to my relationship with God so how do we grow then How do we grow in finding, okay, Jeremy, you've created a a really scary case here, and James, you really scared me a little bit with, I mean, if I really am honest about myself, I don't see a whole lot of good works coming out of me. I see a lot of selfishness. I see a lot of self-motivated things. I see every once in a while, I'll have a soft heart towards something, and I think that probably is, is, you know, there's some real, true godliness in that, but you're leaving me a little afraid. If we can't just excuse me why thank you. <laughs> I'm just going to put that over here. Don't move anymore, okay? If we can't just do it if we can't just sort of muster up good works in our, in our gut out into the world if we can't just think good enough thoughts to make things good things happen in our world this this can't be something that comes from inside of us first it has to be something that's done to us first it has to be something before we can give it away we have to experience it before we can give a good work away a good work has to be done to us And so what experience, what good work can every believer say that they have experienced? Verse 19. You believe that God is one. Talk about a scary verse. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Sam Alberry Commenting on this verse says it like this. He says, Hell is full of good theology. Even the demons believe God is one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they can they can recite the apostles' creed. They can quote scripture to you. Satan did it when he was tempting Jesus. Even the demons believe. But what's their response? their response is not bowing the knee to the good creator and redeemer of the world. Their response is to shudder because they hate him. And the only thing they want is to rid the world of him. And I would add, based on a verse I'm about to read you, I would add one more thing to that. Hell is full of good theology and good people meant in the fully relativistic way of understanding that. There are plenty of people who may be the best of the best according to our standards of goodness on this earth, but without a bowed knee to Christ the Redeemer and the Lord of the world, then theirs will be a counterfeit faith. Because again, a good work's not a good work if it's ultimately centered in the self. Okay, so then what is the experience that we all have? Verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails even at one point has become accountable for all of it. Essentially, you break one thing, you break it all. I kept nine of the Ten Commandments. I kept nine and a half. I kept 9.8. I kept 9.999 of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus says, even if there's, even if there's just one, a tenth, a hundredth, that's a thousand. And if we're honest, we all know there's way more than that. Then it's as if we are as accountable as if we have broken it all. Why? Because good theology doesn't start with man. Good theology starts with a good God. Good theology starts with a good God who is perfect. A perfect creator who creates perfect people to live in a perfect world with him forever. But man chose, and you and I on a daily basis choose to walk away from this perfection. We choose to walk away and say, I've got my own version of perfection and it's kind of over here, and I I think I like my version better than yours, so I'm going to go and do that. Breaking God's will then breaks his entire world, and then we live in this brokenness day in and day out. And the biblical word, word, word excuse me, for this is judgment. Because if there is a perfect world and God is the creator of it and he wants to keep this world spotless, then what must he do to all those who have broken it? He must wipe them away. The right thing to do, the just thing to do, is to take all of those people and to shove them out of the picture and leave only those who are perfect, who can live in this perfect world with him. That's justice. Jump to the next verse. But mercy, his mercy, has triumphed over his justice. His compassion towards those who do not deserve his love, who do not deserve this world that he's given to us, who who do not deserve the very life and breath that we have this moment and every moment. His mercy triumphs over his judgment. His love has overcome. His compassion wins, not giving us what we deserve, but instead sending Jesus to taste hell instead of us having to taste hell. He taking the cost of our mess instead of giving us, like every one of us who have ever been a child or been a, a discipler of children who have wanted to say, you reap what you sow, man. Right? You get good out, you get good in. You get bad out, or you get good, uh, bad in, and you get bad back out right that is just natural that's our go-to but what if god did that with us what if every time we did something wrong we got the worst possible scenario exactly back in our faces his mercy has triumphed over his justice we have been ripped from satan's grip by the everlasting arms of jesus is that a reality is that a reality for you today Hebrews 11 i I've been thinking about it all week and I can't get it out of my head faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things that you can't see don't you want more glimpses of life lived not by faith or not by sight but by faith I feel like I, just in my experience, I'll have those moments where, where I'm living as if God is really on his throne, where I'm living as if prayer actually matters, where I'm living as a, a dearly loved son and not an exiled orphan. But those things are, it feels like I'm just grabbing for those experiences. Don't you want more of that? When's the last time that you can remember when the, the warmth of the truth of God's truth and goodness and beauty actually rubbed off on you? I want more of that for me. I want more of that for you. I'm jealous of that experience. That's an experience. Of the the Holy Spirit doing something to bring what we know to be true down into our hearts. I'm jealous of that for us. I'm jealous of that for Good Shepherd Church. I'm jealous of that for myself and my family and you and yours. Let's ask him for that because his mercy has triumphed over his judgment. Do we live like that? What would it look like if I really believe that I have riches forever stored up for me, then can I give what's in my pockets today? If I actually believe that I'm a beloved child, can I stop, can my heart response stop being, nobody cares about me. Nobody sees me. Nobody loves me. If I really am a pardoned mess, then can I pardon all the other messes in my life? Would more of what we believe become what we live? We can't do this. It has to be an experience done to us by the Spirit's power. So would we ask Him for it? It's kind of like this as we close. Uh, Nancy Guthrie is a a Bible teacher and an author. She's written a number of books and is a wonderful teacher uh, of of biblical truth. She, She says this about an experience that she had a number of years ago. I was conveniently naive about the way that people hurt deeply when they go through the loss of someone they love. But that all changed when I gave birth to my daughter, Hope. Uh, Her daughter Hope was born with a rare genetic defect called Zellweger syndrome. There's no treatment for this, there's no cure. Uh, Most children who are born with this genetic defect have a lifespan of six months. Her daughter Hope lived 199 days. After their daughter passed away, they took surgical steps so that they would not be able to have any more children. And then a few years later, God, in his severe mercy, gave them another one. Another child, a boy this time. Uh, they had him tested early while still in utero. He had Zellweger's syndrome as well. He was born. He lived 183 days. And then he went to be with Jesus. She says, I remember two things from that experience. First, I remember great pain. But secondly, as they were being lowered into the ground, I remembered the people around me. She says, if you ever wonder if going to a funeral matters, it does. If you ever wonder if a a kind little note that you send to someone, hey, thinking about you. you wonder if that matters she says it does that meant the world that marked her she was surrounded by merciful friendship merciful friendship that lifted her head to see the merciful god again and now this weekend this very weekend october 9th through 11th she is hosting what has to be the in the hundreds now of what her and her husband call respite retreats. And a respite retreat is for anyone who has lost a child and is grieving. It could be a long time ago, it could be last week. And uh, today they are closing, that conference is probably closed as of now. So because she was, she experienced the love of merciful friends who lifted her head and her husbands as well, she became a merciful friend who can lift others' heads. What's God doing to build your faith right now? Most likely, according to James 1, it will be the things that you don't like, particularly in your life. It, It will be the places of suffering and difficulty and trauma in your life. But what could He be doing? could he be drawing you, like Hebrews 11 1, could he be drawing you to actually believe here what you've maybe said you believe your whole life? And could he then, as you begin to believe that at a a heart level, where it becomes electric like in Luke 24 when uh, they're around Jesus uh, and on the road to Emmaus and they say, our heart burned inside of us when we were around him. I'm jealous that our hearts would burn again when we are around Jesus. And that that kind of warmth of heart would begin to explode in good works to those around us. That's a good work. Don't spend so much time focusing on the good work. The good work will come. Spend your time focusing on Jesus and his mercy to you. Let's pray. You're a merciful Father. You're an almighty King. Uh, You're a gracious redeemer. And our fickle hearts struggle to believe it. You say, uh, you give us words to this in the New Testament, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so we collectively want to say right now, Lord, we believe For all who trust in you right now, who have bowed the knee to our Savior and Lord, we want to say, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief, though, because it marks us in all kinds of ways during our weeks. We want to be different. We want good work to flow out of us so easily. And we know that that truly won't happen until you make all things new like we sang about earlier but we pray that the kingdom would break in now and that we would have tastes, real tastes of your grace worked out in acts of mercy, in acts of service, in acts of love that we just don't, surprise us where we don't even realize we're doing it until after the fact or until someone else points it out. Would your jealousy to be our God continue to press in to our fickle hearts we pray in Christ